Feminist Buzzkills, the show that has developed irritable bowel scotus, waiting for this abortion pill decision. Jesus. I'm Liz Winstead. Mochi is off today, but I am thrilled and delighted that Buzzkill Marie Khan is back in the house. Marie, we've missed you. Yes, I'm very glad to be back. I got to visit Panama and experience some beautiful areas in <sighs> nature and learn more about U.S colonization and violence because wait what their museums are accurate yeah yeah have they we done some on... shit in panama that i am not aware of marie yeah well you you might be aware of it but in 89 there was a lot of shit going on i'm totally <laughs> kidding not a news <laughs> podcast but yes <laughs> fuck, fuck the u.s 100 <laughs> percent bad it's wonderful to be back uh coming up on today's show liz is going to be talking with tanya pellegrini from the lawyering project Tanya specializes in challenging abortion bans all over the country and will be breaking down where we currently stand in this oh-so-complicated abortion pill circle jerk. Oy, I am so psyched to talk to her. Plus, the star of the hilarious HBO Max comedy special, Bitch, Grow Up, Marcella Arguello is here. And, of course, all the latest news from the reproductive hellscape that is 2023. Plus, abort, abort, abort. We are introducing a new segment later in the show. That's a tease. That is a tease. Yes, we're very excited for this. But first, let's get our feet wet with some of the most ridiculous concerns an anti could possibly bring up. Liz. (laughs) Oh, man. You know, uh, anytime, and it's not the first time you hear the anti screaming, It's going into the water supply. Just look out because a scam is a coming. And Students for Life have decided that since they can't win uh, hearts and minds telling the truth, they have to come up with these crazy convoluted schemes. And the latest one is they're saying that the FDA didn't research how dangerous And what happens when abortions and abortion pills get into the water supply and that it's tainting our water supply. Okay. First off, (laughs) you can tell these are city people because I don't know about you, Liz, I had a septic tank as a child. And I I know how it is to watch to make sure things don't get into the water supply because someone is going to pump that, especially in a family of six, after a couple of years. So the fact that their concern is, okay, think of everything in the water supply too already. Like people menstruate. People jerk off, you know, people do all sorts of things. And I hope it ends up in the toilet. But yeah, Students for Life claims that use of the abortion pill, that fetal tissue is is something that they need to leverage the Endangered Species Act. That's their avenue to use this act to now to continue to go after the FDA and say this these pills shouldn't be available. Well, it, like we live in the pharmaceutical industrial complex. Our water is, I am not on antidepressants simply because I drink tap water and I'm sure I am on antidepressants because of it. <laughs> but like people were interviewed and they said of the things that end up in the water supply, it's like there's tons of stuff in tiny increments and abortion pills and any kind of like products of conception is like point zero 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 zero. There's not enough points and zeros to get to how minuscule it is. But here's my favorite thing. 
they petitioned this the FDA in the, with this you know with this petition, and they acknowledge that the FDA did a study in 1996, but they said it's too old and out of date. And I'm like, bitches, y'all are literally hanging on an 1873 law for every other thing that you're doing. And 1996 is too far back. Come on. It's not the first time that the antis are doing this too. Back in Texas, there's another, there's a woman in Carol Everett who is like leading the anti-abortion movement who claimed that her big push was to try to force clinics out of business by forcing this fetal cremation and burial rule. And she said that needed to happen because the same thing, abortions were getting into the water supply. And then also she actually said, what if people with HIV who have abortions, what if their abortions get in the water supply? And then not only are there abortions in the water supply, there's HIV in the water supply. We did an actual uh, parody with the ACLU of Texas about how ludicrous this person is. We did, it was a Shark Tank parody where she was trying to uh, pitch to the sharks tiny urns and coffins. But within that piece, it's funny and really educational. But at the end of the piece, we actually have a clip of Carol Everett um, saying the actual thing I said on the news. So we're going to put that in the show notes so you can see it because it's ludicrous. They'll do anything except actually make a point that is compelling enough for people to hear them out. Yeah. Um, I know. I love that story. I'm glad that you found that because I remember reading about it like back in the fall. And then to see this update that they're trying to do it is really, it's really just nuts. There is a lot of news to get to today. And I know you're like, please, 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 please get to the Miffy. And we're going to get to the Miffy with an expert. But first, we got to drill down on some of the other news that happened this week. And Marie and I are going to get to our biggest favorite stories. But but before all of that, we're going to toss it over to Molly to give us the steaming news dump from that aforementioned hellscape. Hey, Mal. Hello. Hello. Yes, I know Miffy is taking all the attention, but the daily fuckery does not stop. We're waist high in this shit. So let's get into it. Lawmakers in North Dakota's House passed a bill Monday that would criminalize abortions after six weeks, even in cases of rape or incest. They said this ban is to clean up their trigger ban that's currently blocked. Yeah, this is their version of spring cleaning. They legislate the Marie Kondo way. Bodily autonomy does not spark joy for them. So it's got to go. This next story does not bring me any joy. A Trump-appointed judge halted a Colorado law banning abortion pill reversal, which is the unscientific, unproven, cockamamie invention of pro-force birthers that claims to be able to stop a medication abortion halfway through. So fake clinics in Colorado can continue to harm people as long as it's their sincerely held religious belief, which is interesting because it's my sincerely held belief that they can go fuck themselves. And where's my court ruling? And now for a brief respite from the shitstorm, an amendment to the Nevada Constitution guaranteeing abortion rights in the state is one step closer to coming before voters because the state Senate voted to advance a joint resolution on it. And this is great because we need so much more abortion access near the South with rights instead of Texas hold them, Nevada give them. Thank you so much. Uh, so I'm going to have to <laughs> I'm going to have to break out my poker face for this next garbage story. Remember the Florida judge who denied a teen an abortion because he said her grades weren't good enough? He's now on the shortlist for the Florida Supreme Court. He was out of a job after voters ousted him, so he must have just written "Let's go Brandon" in the gap in his resume. That's been your steaming news dump. Back to you. That story's inexplicable to me. I, I, Unbelievable. It, you know, the fact that in Florida, 
you can have a judge who says you're bad at algebra, so you can't have your abortion is mind blowing. Not mature enough to have an abortion, but mature enough to raise a child. He probably tells blonde jokes. Okay, like let's talk about maturity here. Oh my god! Yeah, your your grades shouldn't have any bearing on childbearing. You know? Ooh, good one, Molly. Yeah, it, I'm also imagining they want this to play out on the college level, right? Like, talk about a FERPA violation to be like, give me your transcript. What's a FERPA violation? What's a federal federal education uh, right to privacy act, which again, we can see how people have privacy in in areas that that people recognize it's needed and not in others. I didn't realize that there it's sort of there was a HIPAA for your transcripts and stuff. Yes. Yep, there is. And no, supposedly whether or not you're enrolled in school. So again, you you shouldn't be able to be a shitty cop to call up a school to go hunt down someone. Should you be able to even, how would the judge even know the person's grades unless they told them? What are your grades? Is that what the judge asked? I'm here to see if I can have an abortion. What did you get in civics? Like, is that how that goes? Like, what? Maybe he pop quizzed her on a American history or math or something. I would have failed. There's no way. I would only hope to have a trivia quiz to see if I could get my abortion. That would be the, I had no money. So if somebody was like, okay, you don't have any money to get your abortion, but if you can answer these five questions, like if I had to go through some gauntlet of that, it would please, please, please make it state capitals, state capitals (laughs) for my abortion. Well, I (laughs) know we have to move on. But Liz, I know you had to learn the books of the Bible fucking song. (laughs) That just sing that before a judge. Oh my God. I don't know. We Catholics didn't have to learn the books of the if if that was some Lutheran bullshit you had, Marie. We did not follow that Protestant y heathen ways. Oh no, no, no. No, no, no. We went to catechism. We're the real religion. Remember. Oh god. Remember the Catholics. They're the Church of St. Paul. Remember that. I'm stepping out of this one. I don't want to I don't want to be a part of this argument. Molly, thanks for bringing one good story. It's always appreciated. I try. I try. Why is it that even as I'm more informed, I'm more depressed? Oh, <laughs> I think that's part of the deal. And it's why it's so important to add activism into your life so that you can have an outlet. I Activism and humor, because the more you learn, the more you're like, if I just sit here with this. Uh, but, you know, Marie, what are you going to tell us? We're going to be doing updates on the ongoing abortion pill nail biter in a few minutes. But first, we're going to talk about the stories that caught our eyes this week. Liz, what do you have up? Oh, guess what, Marie? I don't mean to surprise you, but um, Texas anti-abortion politicians are multitasking up a storm. It turns out the stooge who authored that state's bounty hunting law and who's also the attorney for that creepy, stocky dude who's suing his ex-wife's friends for helping her get an abortion. Yes. Remember him? Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, somehow, Marie, he has found extra time for a new anti-abortion legal grift. He's suing the governor of New Mexico, claiming that that 1873 Comstock law nullifies the new laws expanding abortion access and especially abortion access through the mail in New Mexico. Mm. It's a big nothing burger, which should literally be an impossible burger that claims that, get this, states can't have their own laws if they conflict with federal law. Never mind, that's just what what (laughs) happened when Dobbs dropped. They said it's back to the states. And also, P.S., gambling and pot. Yeah. yeah. Marie, we talked so much about 
sanctuary cities on this podcast. And so this guy, his name is Jonathan Mitchell. He is not only, like I said, been all these other things. He's also been working with Mark Lee Dixon, who is the Pied Viper of all of these sanctuary city attempts, you know, trying to get these small towns across Texas and New Mexico and Colorado and all these places to have their city councils declare that abortions and abortion related activities can't be performed in their municipalities. He's been leading the charge on that too. This guy's got, I don't know how he does anything else because he's very busy. He's not adopting babies, obviously. He is not adopting. <laughs> um, but for him to just have this lawsuit against New Mexico in this super not even close to anything constitutional way, just to nope. just because the cities are trying to pass these laws and the states are saying you can't, it's kind of nuts. Well, and too, New Mexico, this is an important state, right? It's a state that has uh, care supported into the third trimester. It's a state with huge indigenous communities. It's one of the last area. It's on the coast that was last colonized in the U.S. So it's it, this is a special space for so many folks, so many black, brown and indigenous folks. Uh, so it's very calculated to go after this area. I mean, there's a new there's a new all trimester clinic, VAG clinic that we've we've talked about the fundraisers. That clinic's going to be in New Mexico. Mm -hmm. So it's really, really calculated and cruel. And I like that you not like, but I like that how you brought it back to the architect behind aiding and abetting this guy suing his wife's friends. It's all about breaking apart the communities we have and those people that understand and love us unconditionally that are there to support us. And it's taking the horrible people in our lives and deputizing them mm -hmm. and then seeing, oh, hey, that state next door to me doesn't let it happen. I'm going to employ this, again, this law from, what did you say, 1865? 73. 73, 1873. While we have a fucking, we have FDA approval since 1996 that is problematic. Right. So absolutely ludicrous of a timeline and a chronology to apply our, our human rights to. Well, and also just where is the outrage of the people of Texas who have elected a person, Mr. Representative Miller, who is supposed to be making sure Texas is maybe fixing their power grid, you know, maybe making sure that like your maternal mortality rates get better because they're some of the worst in the nation. And instead, this is a dude who is taking on a horrible case of a guy who stole his ex-wife's phone and then saw she was having an abortion and then decided to bring a lawsuit against her friends. A guy who literally said, I'm going to spend my time instead of helping the people of Texas create laws where you hunt down people who help people access care. I'm going to spend my time trying to get all of these townships and small cities to like ban abortion. And then I'm going to now take up a lawsuit in another state. For those of you that don't understand sort of the very rudimentary basics, when federal law is set, that is the baseline with which states have to cooperate, right? So states have to cooperate with giving people rights. When you give someone a right, every state has to grant that person a right, not a law, a right. And states have the opportunity to expand that right. It's why in, in the good times, you can see a state expanding abortion access from the baseline of what the federal government says. And in bad ways, you can see states expand gun rights. So it can be bad and it can be good, but there's a baseline for rights. And so if New Mexico chooses 
to have a right that they would like to expand because the federal government has a very low baseline for it or says it's your right to do so, they can. You can't come in and say this fucked up other thing. Everybody has to follow it because they don't. Yep. Also, like I said, pot and gambling are not legal everywhere. So it's a mess. So um, that is my story that got my got me the most. I'm hoping that it gets thrown out and laughed out. I'm hoping all of this shit gets thrown out and laughed out. I don't even know what to say about like how we go about it other than just elevating that. It's just utter bullshit. But you have good news. Yes, I'm pleased to say that this is a good story and one that honestly does give me a little hope. So within the rich living history of abortion care, next to options like medicinal herbal support that we have exists manual uterine evacuations. Now, this is a process of removing tissue from the uterus through a small aspiration or suction device operated by hand. Super simple approach uh, could even be used for periods each month for someone who's not having sexual activity intercourse at all. But ironically, this is not a process or approach that's taught to the vast majority of med students or healthcare providers in training. And we're talking about it today and now because a New York abortion provider who questioned the need for people to travel from incredible great distances for uncomplicated healthcare, she's changing this with the MYA network. I, I know you are also excited about this, Liz, because it's it's like the simple handheld devices. There's they can be as small as a bike pump. They they have to be you can find you can find information online, but they're sterile devices that um through the work of someone supporting you, um it's recommended folks can use to evacuate their uterus monthly, however often they need to. Yeah, I love it. A lot of trainings are used with this. This is where um I I've done papaya trainings. Because the papaya, for those of you that don't know, is sort of the size of a uterus and has the weight and um, within the interior of a papaya, it has the same sort of consistency of like uterine tissue and things like that. And so by using and helping sort of dilate the cervix with a series of implements and then being able to use this aspiration device, I was surprised at how easy it was to do and how physicians and people who are just laity or anybody can really be using mm-hmm. these and doing it. And I, I'm so excited that it's being reintroduced. You know, it's kind of like when you can go back to really safe healthcare that doesn't involve a whole lot of falderol and demystifies a lot of things. That's the part I think that I like the most about it is that it's easy. It doesn't take any more time. And it's easy to train on and it's just very holistic. It encourages to get people to know their bodies better and return to that knowledge, right? Every every month or however often you need to do this manual evacuation. And the really cool thing about this um, MYA network or My Abortion Network is that it's a structure that primary care clinics and clinicians are joining. And so far, it's in 16 states. So again, these are people in states electing to learn this information And the primary care part is really important because the wonderful doctor, Dr. Joanne Fleischman, this great doctor from New York State, again, that's heading this up, she wants it in spaces that aren't just OBGYNs, that aren't just um, labor and delivery, because she understands and recognizes, again, why, why are people, especially in a state like New York, why are people coming from other countries to get abortion care here when... These these literal tools that have existed and been around for decades and in earlier versions prior to that, they they could totally be utilized and used. 
Well, and I think a lot of people don't know that existing now are many family medicine doctors are providing abortions, but they're not providing abortions within their family medicine practice. They're providing abortions. They have to go to the clinic. And I think returning abortion back to spaces uh, in, in comprehensive healthcare would be great. I mean, wouldn't it be nice to go get a flu shot and, you know, if you needed to have your abortion or get a flu shot or just your annual, you know, exam on top of everything else, you know, to have somebody who is providing care, it also destigmatizes abortion by putting it back there. And I think that's the part I love, Marie. And it's so cool. And so I hope a lot of people are really thinking about reintroducing this in. And, you know, anytime you get back to the closeness of your yourself to your own body, yourself to, you know, managing how you can in the best ways possible. That's why I love abortion pills. You know, you're not, you can't be fooled by the propaganda and you can't be fooled by all the shit they put out there to try to make all these crazy laws. And so that's why I like pushing towards self-managed abortion, pushing towards these simple procedures is where we need to go. We need to get back to basics, Marie. As always, these stories will be in the show notes and we remind you the best, most up-to-date resource on accessing abortion care and funding your care is at INeedAnA.com. INeedAnA.com. Thank you, Marie. So by now you are probably have chewed your nails down to the nubs and have Googled everything you can to make sense of what is happening with this, these lawsuits and these rulings and these stays and this complicated jargon surrounding the Mifepristone case. We are told a ruling will come down by midnight tonight, but until then, we wanted to talk about where we are right now and help explain what we know, possible outcomes, and what comes next with a repro lawyer extraordinaire. She is the senior counsel at the Lawyering Project, and her expertise is litigating so many of these draconian abortion bans. Please welcome Tanya Pellegrini. Hey, Tanya, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I mean, I honestly wish that you were here in my living room so that I could just have my head in your lap and say, please explain to me what's happening and tell me it's going to be okay. I will do my best. <laughs> all right. Well, you're going to be my virtual hug and you're going to be all of our listeners virtual hug. So, I mean, we were hoping that today as we speak, we would have gotten a ruling on Wednesday so that we could break that down. But as of this taping, we're still in a holding pattern. So, what we know is we don't need to really dive too much into how the case launched, but I think I really want to get into where we're at now. And I think what most of our listeners know is that both sides filed briefs stating their case to the Supreme Court. And so let's kick off by you just sort of explaining what each of their arguments are, what both of them have presented to the court, and then what the court will be looking for in order to make their ruling? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I think um, I just want to start with kind of backing up a little bit to talk about what the Supreme Court is actually hearing right now, because the Supreme Court um, is presumably not going to decide the merits of the case. That's still premature. Right now, the Supreme Court is being asked whether there should be a stay in place um, while the Fifth Circuit goes through its process to decide whether the district court, Judge Kaczmarek's order um, was, you know, a, an easy way to put it wrong or not. And so that's really what the Supreme Court is being asked to do because 
it's pretty unprecedented to have um, something so big with such a national impact not be stayed while it goes through the normal judicial process. And so that's why it's at the Supreme Court. Um, the FDA, Danco, um, the manufacturer of Mifepristone are asking the Supreme Court to keep the status quo in place while um, the Fifth Circuit, you know, goes through its normal process of the appeal of this case. Whereas the, the plaintiffs are asking the Supreme Court to keep um, Judge Kazimierz's order in place and to, um, I guess, maintain the chaos that it's caused um, instead of pausing things, having the status quo happen so that the normal procedures can go forward. So what are the things like within the briefs of the people who brought the case, these, you know, anti-abortion groups? who formed to be one alliance or whatever you want to call them um, that have uh, plaintiffs in this case, what do they have to prove that they can even, that they even have the right to bring the case forward? Yeah, they um, normally, you have to show that you have what's called standing. Hold up. Okay. Standing is going to be our vocabulary word of the show. Tanya, explain what standing is. Standing is showing that you have a concrete um, interest in the outcome of a case. You have some kind of actual harm that's happening to you. And that if the court doesn't, um, hear the case and resolve it, you will not have a remedy for the harm that you are facing. And so in order to have standing, you have to actually be harmed. It can't be speculative of, I may at some point want to do something or something may happen. It really has to be more concrete than that. In looking at it, and again, I love talking to a lawyer, but the implausibility that 5 million people have used this medication and they have not had these this caseload that is burdensome to them. I just find it so bizarre that they could make the case that if somebody who used medication abortion had a complication, that instead of going to their doctor or an emergency room, that they would switch to a doctor who disagrees with every single thing that they just did. And also, might I point out, one of them is a dentist. So the, the fact that they have a dentist to say, I may be burdened by stupid people who don't understand which cavity is being, you know, I, I don't I don't know how the court could even look at that and on its face, even this court. Am I being optimistic? No, I think you're absolutely correct. It is exactly um, like you said, it is crazy that this is where we are. Um, and that's really one of the big issues, right? It's that it's so speculative and hypothetical. These aren't people providing medication abortion. These aren't people that are being forced to do something, you know, that's harming them. They're people who may at some point maybe have to treat someone which is also crazy because you want doctors in emergency rooms to want to treat everyone that comes in and help them and not say, oh, no, you took, you know, Miffy. I, I don't want to help save you or like, I don't want to treat you. It's just to me, it's just wild. Um, and so, yeah, you're absolutely correct. It's just it's a crazy place we are right now. Well, it's also too like I was thinking about it. And as we were in the wake of the pandemic and in the height of the pandemic and people were told to drink bleach and take horse tranquilizer and do all this other stuff, like there wasn't a group of doctors who said, I don't want to treat you because you did a you did a thing I 
don't think is medically ethical. No one, no one did that. So I don't, this is the part I don't understand. All right. So they're, they're asking the Supreme court to recognize that they somehow would be burdened by this. Mm -hmm. And they also asked them to look at this 1873 Comstock law and factor that in. Talk about that. And if that's going to be something that the Supreme court would actually consider. I mean, I think it really shows that the, um, you know, the anti-abortion folks, they never wanted it to be up to the states. They have wanted it to be this nationwide ban, and they're going to continue to attack access to abortion in every way. And this is just another example of that and really showing that kind of um, hypocrisy of like, it should be the states deciding because they're looking at federal um, kind of like prohibitions on abortion. And so Comstock, I think, is another example of that. And it's an example that this is, you know, this case that we're talking about is just one battle in this larger war against reproductive rights and abortion. Um, and I am hoping that the Supreme Court is going to, you know, do the right thing and go, um, you know, apply laws neutrally and to follow law and science and facts and not sort of go into this kind of political ideological um, opinion that we saw from Judge Kazmierich um, on this case. And so what are the people who, what the FDA and the DOJ and the manufacturers of the pills are the are the are the defendants in this right? And so, what are they saying? What are what's their petition to the court? Yeah. So, um, are you talking about Comstock or just in general? Just in general, like you know, when they when the when the court says you have to file with us within a certain amount of time, mm-hmm. what do they? What what is it that they're asking the court? Obviously, keep keep Miffy as it is. But what are mm-hmm. the grounds they're saying why they should? I guess is what yeah. I want. I mean, I think that they have a very solid position based on law and fact, and that. You know, Miffy has been on the market for over 20 years. We know that it is safe. We know that it is effective. We know that it has been thoroughly studied. And this is what they're telling the court, that that is what that evidence says and that that is why to do something as extraordinary as pulling it off the market is such a um, unprecedented thing and is something that, you know, shouldn't be done so lightly. Um, shouldn't be done at all, really. But, um, you know, they're they're basically saying, like, this is what the law and the facts say, and this is why the status quo should remain, and that um, it really should be the FDA that's tasked with um, making these decisions. They're the experts to make the determinations of what is safe, and they did here with Mickey, and it's all of the medical associations, all the science agree with that, that it is safe and it is effective. And so, the arguments before the court is that in addition to as we talked about standing about why that fails and then why the other kind of like legal ways that the district court got there about things like the statute of limitations, right? It's kind of crazy to bring a case on something that happened 23 years ago. There should be some bar and there is, there's a six year statute of limitations. And so that's another argument that they're making with the court that that was wrong as well. In addition to just pointing out sort of how the science and the facts that the court, the district court relied on were wrong. And, you know, they should follow those that um, the FDA put forth and that other medical associations have also supported. You know, as, as people who are watching it and us trying to navigate it and then explain it to our folks, you've really broken down sort of like where we're at with that. I think the next thing I want to ask you is we've also seen different people filing different stuff. 
And so I would love to talk a little bit about how those things will be affected by whatever the Supreme Court, or if not at all, or maybe you don't know what the Supreme Court says. So I want to focus on two. One, yesterday, one of the manufacturers of medication abortion filed a ruling that that they basically said, hey, fuckers, there's a protocol with which you go through. Mm -hmm. If you want to take a drug off the market, don't just listen to this whack-ass judge. You have to go through the protocol. And they're suing the FDA to say, look, this is uncool. Why are you acquiescing? I mean, I don't think that's legally what the paper said, but I'm paraphrasing for my people. But tell me what that lawsuit, kind of how, what that is and what they want to get from it and how that would be affected by whatever the Supreme Court decides. Yeah, I mean, I think you did a really good job about explaining what is at the heart of the matter, because it is really um, crazy when you think about it that GenBioPro, that's the manufacturer of generic mifepristone isn't a party to this other lawsuit, but their um, rights are being really affected. And so it is, you know, what you said, it's coming in and saying, hey, you know, you can't just pull generic mifepristone out of the market off the shelves um, without giving us proper kind of procedures to be able to, um, you know, prove that they're doing it based on like a scientific and a legal reason. Um, and so this particular um, Supreme Court ruling we're waiting on will impact GenBioPro and generic mifepristone only to the extent if they continue the stay and we go back to the status quo. And that means that Mifi, um, the you know name brand mifepristone and generic mifepristone will be available the same way it has been, um, you know, up until now. So so that's how it would affect it, but it wouldn't actually um, affect the merits of that case yet because that's not what's before the Supreme Court. But I will say the Supreme Court may surprise us and do something different, but you know, hopefully what they do is they maintain the status quo for now um, and then you know we'll see how everything plays out months from now. And so then we have this Washington State case where it's 17 attorneys general in the District of Columbia have also said to the FDA, look, whatever this court rules, the lower decision, keep it on the market. Don't pull it off the market. What are you doing? And so explain a little bit about that and then how how the Supreme Court would affect that. Like, it's so crazy. It is so crazy. You're so right. It's just, it's chaos. Um, and I just want to point out that that's really what, um, you know, antis have wanted is to cause chaos, to cause confusion, fear, have this chilling effect. And all of this is really just playing into that, unfortunately. Um, but uh, for the Washington case, it's again, the Supreme Court isn't looking at the merits there. But if they do continue to stay, it would mean the status quo is in place and it would affect it in that way. Um, that case itself, like the GenBioPro one, aren't currently before the Supreme Court. So they won't um, say anything about like the merits of that case either. But it really what the Supreme Court does in regards to staying um, Judge Kaczmarek and the Fifth Circuit's orders is going to impact all of those cases. And then that's to be sort of revealed, right, as we know. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I wanted to ask you with sort of regards to all that is states that have been profoundly expanding abortion access, like New York and California, didn't sign on to that Washington ruling. So as these states have solidified abortion rights, People are worried. Could that all be for naught because they either didn't send it into the Washington case or because a decision that says something about Mifepristone could stop these states from prescribing it or dispensing it? 
Yeah, I mean, it really just depends on what what happens. Um, worst case scenario, if Mr. Christone does lose its FDA approval and cannot be prescribed, that is going to, um, you know, that could be really problematic. It's really going to vary by state. It's going to vary by who are the people um, charged at the state levels for prosecuting things like whether a drug is misbranded. Um, and so it, it'll really depend. Um, I am hopeful that places like California, New York, access will continue because we're not going to have um, these prosecutors that are fueled by ideology that are going out there and that are criminalizing providers and patients. But it's really just going to depend on what happens. And and hopefully, as I said, the Supreme Court will keep the stay in place and ultimately rule that this case should be thrown out because it really isn't based on law or fact. And again, Mifepristone, um, abortion medication is safe. It's effective. We know it is. Um, and so hopefully, you know, we will have the outcome where things will go back to how they were um, or get better, hopefully. You know, it's it's the chaos of it, I guess, to me is the most frustrating and mind boggling thing. And, you know, if just in America since 2000, 5 million people have used this safely and in their homes. And I don't know that people understand that when you go get the pill, you are literally having somebody hand you a pill that you take in front of them and then you leave and you finish the regimen in your own home on your own terms. And when you empower a patient to self-manage their abortion like that, being someone who's had an abortion, you know, you are you're paying attention to everything. You're paying attention to what's coming out of your body. You're looking at that. You're you're examining it yourself and you become the expert. You just you have the ability to dispel all of the bullshit, those bullshit pornographic signs they have of the fetal parts, all that stuff. They can't argue with 5 million people who have not had that experience. And I think that's the biggest thing that is just creeps me out. Tanya, you've been so helpful in just like laying out everything. I think we should probably just, if you can, put on your um, crystal ball. And it's not even a crystal ball, really. It's more like just laying out what are some of the most probable scenarios to happen of the various Supreme Court rulings, and then what people can look towards what would happen if with each of those rulings. Yeah. So I think that there's really kind of obviously, you know, I don't have the crystal ball, so I can't say with any certainty. (laughs) But I think that there's three likely outcomes that we may see with the Supreme Court ruling today. And that's that there's going to be one is where they say the stays in place, the status quo is maintained. People can access MIFI as they have been. Nothing changes um, for now. The second is that we go back to the Fifth Circuit's order, which was also bad. I mean, Judge mm-hmm. Kazimierz's order was bad. That one's bad. They both cause chaos, both cause confusion. That one takes us back to 2016. Um, and, you know, all, all of this is intended to take us back in time. But that one takes us back to 2016, where there is access to MIFI. There's more restrictions. It makes it harder to access. That means that for people who are most impacted, BIPOC people, LGBTQ people, minors, immigrants, people who don't have, um, you know, close access to a provider, they're going to be the most impacted as they already have. If we do have to go back to some of these outdated, you know, things like in-person requirements and no mailing, no picking up at the pharmacy. Um, so it's still bad and it's still chaos. Then the third option is that we, you know, they go back to what Judge Casimir ordered, which is really bad. That means Miffy's not approved. Um, and it's just, 
it's bad, <laughs> a really bad situation. So I think those are the likely three um, things that may happen. And what would happen like with this, with the second scenario you said, where they go back to what the fifth circuit ruled the 2016 ruling seven weeks, you know, you have to go to the doctor to get it, all that stuff. What will our side do? Will they appeal? Like what will they then, what will be the next action that legal action that would be taken of the second two that you said? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it really, it depends on um, what, how the court does it, because if they just say, no, the Fifth Circuit's order stays and we're not going to do anything, then I don't think that it can be appealed again to the Supreme Court. It would just have to be waiting until the Fifth Circuit has its hearing next month on the case and then seeing what happens there on like a more merits position. And then there might be the avenues with the other cases. It's just kind of unclear at this point what would happen. But I will say, you know, there are a lot of us out here that are working to make sure that people have access and that providers and supporters of abortion feel protected. Um, and so we're doing everything we can to give information that's current to help navigate, answer questions. Um, there's the Abortion Defense Network that, you know, people can call into and get connected with a pro bono attorney to ask questions about their specific states, which if we do go to the Fifth Circuit ruling, it is going to vary state by state on what is allowed and what isn't. And so I do encourage folks to reach out to an attorney um, and if they don't have one to call the abortion defense network. And then for people that are pregnant and no longer want to be pregnant, there is the if one how repro defense line as well that they can reach out to to find out what their options are. So I just want people to know that, you know, they're not alone out there. We're doing everything we can and we're fighting and we're going to continue to because it is critical for people to have access to abortion care. Well, and I just want to thank you so much because Loring Project has been fighting these bans all around the country and been doing such great work. And so my takeaway really is the Fifth Circuit ruling, if that if that's where it goes, May 17th, I think is when they're I believe so too. Put that down. Be looking for that. And then if that happens, um, we'll help you guide um, where the best resources are. We'll put all the links to what Tanya said in our show notes and also help you to where you should guide and look in your state and what the rules are in your state. We will give all the resources for that. Um, Tanya, thank you so much for jumping on. And hopefully we can have you back again when we have these emergencies because it really does make people feel better that somebody can even say we're not sure yet. And then they can have a little bit of just like, stopping scrambling, taking the time and knowing that experts are around to help answer their questions. So thank you for being that for us. We're going to put all the links to everything in your show notes, especially that sweet, sweet donation button for the Lawyer Ring Project. So um, thank you for everything you do. Thanks so much for having me. And thank you for everything you do too. Thank you, Liz and Tanya. That was amazing. The Lawyering Project isn't on social media, but you can learn about their work at lawyeringproject.org. Well, uh, I'm going to make an awkward screeching transition <laughs> from that amazing segment to our new segment called Abort, Abort, Abort. Here's how it goes. We choose an inexplicable clip of a profoundly hot take about abortion or really any reproductive comments that deserve some scrutiny. We'll play the clip down. And when we feel the need to stop it for a sec to weigh in, one of us will just shout, Abort, Abort, Abort. Stop the clip so we can offer our corrections, concerns, or just some petty hilarity. We'll take this maiden voyage on the new segment with Nebraska State Senator Steve Erdman, who offered these nuggets of wisdom as reasons Nebraska should create a six-week abortion ban. We have killed 2,000 babies since abortion became legal. Those are 2,000 
people in the state of Nebraska that could be working and filling some of those positions that we have vacancies. They're not uh, Abort, abort, abort. <laughs> Ooh, wow, where, where have we heard let's, let's create a labor class? Like, what the fuck? It's also 2,000 people who are not here. And like, where? Like, what is, what's the baby labor force, Marie? That's uh, Pampers actors? <laughs> it, it, it was so I've heard I've heard that argument before. And every time it just um, it startles me to think that, like, because it makes that assumption that, like, every single abortion is going to be somebody who's going to be exactly right for the job openings that are needed. Wow. Turns out we need 87 lawyers and there was eight. We had someone aborted 87 potential lawyers. Isn't that incredible <laughs> how that works? Oh yeah, they're age old. They could have cured Always. cancer. Like, well, I'm sorry, you're not helping the people who are here cure cancer, nor the ones with it. So just sit down. Yeah, sit yeah. down. It's always the Einsteins we're killing every time, and it's also the Fred Flintstones who are saying we're killing the Einsteins, which is also very hilarious to me. But this guy didn't stop there. He he went on to say, "Our state population has not grown, except by those foreigners who have moved here or refugees who have been placed here." Why is that? It's because we've killed 200,000 people. These are people we've killed. <laughs> abort. 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 <laughs> two classes of brown people, y'all. They're, you're a foreigner or you're a refugee. And I say brown because who knows what they think of folks who are darker pigmented, who are black, who are African. Like Also, if we're trying to really have refugees feel like there's potential for a better place from which they came, don't send them to Nebraska where fuckwads like this are there. Also, is it 2,000 or is it 200,000 babies we're killing, Marie? Because I feel like the the population of Nebraska, I think, is like 1.2 million people. So how many people are fucking in Nebraska? What is the average age? And it's not, Very good question. you know, there's a lot of messiness here. And also... If you want to ask why the population of Nebraska is shrinking and why doesn't anybody want to move there, your criminal justice system's in the lower 50, you're a little bit messy. And also people like you make public statements like that. And maybe that's why people are a leaving in droves and don't want to come to your state in droves, dude. So make Nebraska better by getting rid of guys like that. And also, have you ever driven through Nebraska, Marie? You're a Midwesterner. Have you taken that eight hour drive? Yep. Yep. And with an, with an AM radio, yes. listen to, yeah, when all you can get is the hog report for literally six hours on the radio, <laughs> it ain't great. It's hard. Yeah, it's one of the worst, yeah, the worst states to drive through. Exactly. Honestly. So um, we're going to be doing this often, breaking down these clips. Um, I just want to again thank uh, State Senator Steve Erdman, who offered those incredible words and that compelling argument to make sure that we end abortion at six weeks. Wow. Transitioning to something that we love to do on our show, we love to thank the people who make the show possible. And as you know, this show would not be able to exist without the fine, fine support of our fake sponsors. Marie, tell the folks who is sponsoring this week's episode. Imagine a virtual world where you can still be as anti-abortion, homophobic, and transphobic as you want. Sound too good to be true? Welcome to the Natalverse a place where you can explore the same world we live in down to the last don't tread on me bumper sticker, just without all the woke seven gender feminist baby killers canceling all your joy. In the natal verse, you choose your adventure. 
Maybe it's exploring a perfect New York, just one big pronoun-free Staten Island. Or if old Hollywood glamour is your thing, stroll down the Charlton Heston Walk of Fame in front of Grauman's American Theater. The Natalverse creates a life that is uniquely yours, without a drag brunch or a history lesson or a single right for women anywhere. And even though abortion is illegal, we still want you to enjoy your kinks in the Natalverse. We installed a virtual clinic on every corner, so you can scream and shame virtual patients until you reach completion. Sign up now and take the first step into the shame euphoria that is the Natalverse. The Natalverse, a virtual key-ality. <laughs> you know, Marie, what that sounds like to me is basically what Ron DeSantis plans to do with Disney when he takes it over. He's going to turn it into the Natalverse. Yes. Some sort of Nexium Sims, but like homophobic space. The Nexium Sims, which is just gonna suck. Intersection <laughs> theme park is just next level trash. Wow. Um, the Natalverse, unbelievable. Well, should we get on to some bring some comedy into this place, into this house, into this show? Let's do it. Our next guest is a comedian, writer, actor whose stand-up special bitch grow up is currently streaming on HBO Max. Please welcome Marcella Arguello. Marcella, thank you for joining us on the pod. Hey, Marcella. Hi. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so the news has been crazy pants forever. Yeah. What are you doing these days to keep your joy in the madness? Oh, I try to cut my my television consumption off at a certain point. Like definitely no news after eight o'clock and definitely no like uh, murder shows after like nine. I try to that that really helps me because there's there's a lot. It, it can get a little overwhelming. I cut my I and that uh, that applies to like Twitter and just reading the news and yeah. So you become a Luddite after eight o'clock, basically. Yeah, you it's just... basically like cartoons and Seinfeld. That's it. I don't nice. I just don't. I can't. I can't. I can't sleep well. I the other... Do you have nightmares? Absolutely. Yeah. Can you tell like what has how has the, the world manifested into your dreams? You know what? I um I, I might have been um the day that it was announced about the indictment because I was really like reading a lot, listening to NPR a lot, like consuming a lot as much as I could. And then um I think it was also like a day or something like that. It was like back to back days of that. And then uh, like watching like a Dateline marathon. I just got into Dateline, by the way. I've never Dateline been Dateline or Dateline crime. Predator. Let's be clear. Oh, gosh. Dateline, just, <laughs> okay. just straight murders. Okay. okay. And um, yeah. And I never got into any of those types of things. So I've like been binging more because it's I mean, if I haven't watched any of it, there's so much to watch. And there was, it was like back to back either nights or maybe it was like daytime, nighttime where I like and so that night I was being chased. I had done something illegal. I was like hiding from my family, hiding from the police. Hi like I was the one that was, and I don't even remember in your dreams yeah, in my own dreams. I was <laughs> oh the criminal God. and it was a lot. It was, it was, and it's stress. I have, there's stress dreams and it affects. So it's like, I wake up exhausted with a migraine. It's too much. So I have to, If it totally affects, it's, it's affected my dreams. The daytime has affected my Nighttime since I was a kid. I didn't even watch Are You Afraid of the Dark when I was a kid. Oh, I, wow. I'm like really easily also just swayed by media. I actually can't watch the news. Mm. I have to read it. Oh, that, <laughs> hey, that, hey, man, but, our brains do wild things. <laughs> if I watch it, I get 
really a little man- it's, manic. It's, I don't know. Yeah, it's good to know yourself, right? In, the, in this, in, especially in these times, it's like you gotta like the self care can be anything. Yeah. Also, these times are entirely too interesting. I would like them to be a little less interesting yeah. right now. Well, you want to absorb it a little bit, like yep. as a cultural commentator and a political commentator. You know, it's. And that's the thing, you know, you are somebody who really talks about issues in yourself and stuff like that. And it's like, how, how do you decide in this landscape of shit that we live in? What is it that you want to impart to your fans through your comedy? Yeah, I mean, that's tricky, too, because, um, you know, my fans, I never know what my fans think, you know, until I, you know, put a thought out. And then they let you know what they think. Um, so I, I I always try to have an angle that maybe isn't being uh, said or joked around about. Um, like something simple is like that the Angel Reese, you know, doing the the little face, the, the John Cena, t- a Tony Yayo gesture to to that other student, uh, uh, the college, the college basketball story. Yeah, yeah. When that dropped, it was like everyone was like so mad about it. And and some people were like, it's not that serious. Everybody was like, it's very serious. And it's a race thing. And then it's just, it's just sports. It's just, you know. And I was like, okay, what's nobody saying? And I, and then I was like, okay, no one's saying that we should all be doing this all the time at all workplaces because that would just be fun. Um, <laughs> and then, and then of course, that picked up a lot of traction because, yeah, no one's saying that. No, like, job of the comedian is to take something and make it funny and try to see it the way people aren't seeing it and it was kind of fun to like put some lightheartedness to something that was pretty racially div- divided and uh and also like age div- division too because it turned into like decorum thing which was like there is they're just playing sports guys um so you know it's it's like that's part of the fun. It's part of the puzzle, right? Yeah, and that's also and part takes, of the risk, I think. It's part of the risk, yes. Yeah. I think I I think this really ties into one of my next questions, because when you talk about sort of the divisiveness and, and also the ways that different people see things, you were woke before people were woke, right? Like before this was now a, a, a right-wing talking point. So can you just talk about wokeness? Because we seem to have surrendered the whole phrase yeah. to the douchebags since right. they seem to be leading the conversation about it. Yeah, I mean... I definitely, since I was a kid, uh, I just didn't, like, if something logically didn't make sense, like, my dad was completely, like, misogynist, who, like, you know, my, my sisters and I weren't allowed to do what my brothers were allowed to do, and my mother supported it, because she's Latina, and that's the culture, and when I was a kid, it was like, this doesn't make sense mathematically, you know, like, I need you to explain it to me, like, why do the boys get to do the things the girls don't get to do, you know, and I was, like, seven, and I was just trying to have a logical conversation, and there was no logic to to sexism so and i didn't know any of the words i didn't know what feminism was you know you don't know what wokeness is and then as i got older it just and look i was not a perfect kid i i I always try to remind people like it was the 90s i was homophobic like i was not always on point on on a lot of things but the things i was right about um i'm i'm of course very proud of and it has stayed with me as i've gotten older and i've tried to right my wrongs which is the other part of you know being the outspoken person who is actually trying to do better and um i my dad was my dad had this quote he would always tell cops when they hassled him or they hassled the family, which was, I'm a homeowner and I'm a taxpayer. And uh, and that seemed to work because uh, money talks and they really understood, you know, even though he had that thick accent, it didn't matter. They heard that. They heard what he was saying when he said that. 
And that always like stood out to me like, damn, you know, if you really word things the right way, you can really like get people to like snap out of their bullshit. And then I would just as I got older, just try to try to maintain that. And then, of course, there's labels to it, feminism, radicalization, whatever you want to call it. I just feel like it's you either speaking up for the right reasons or you're not. And everyone has their own definition of right and wrong. Yeah, but some things are absolute. Hey, absolutely. You're right about that. You're right about that. <laughs> I completely relate to that because I grew up in a super conservative household. And, you know, some stuff is just mm-hmm. hammered into you, like culturally how you're positioned. Like we lived a half a block from the church and school I grew up in. Our neighborhood was Catholic. And so when you are, are just around in this pack of, of community, you don't, nothing else punctures in. And so how is it um, that you sort of found your way, um, you know, out of the homophobia? Like, what was it that, like, I I don't know that it's radicalization. Sometimes I just think it's, you get to burst through out of the bubble and into another space. What was it for you? Like, how did you find? I don't really know for sure, but I, I've been rewatching like shows from the nineties And like, I was like, oh, like, you know, Will and Grace, you know, had like a lot of transphobic uh, jokes and some homophobic jokes, too. But I think the transphobic jokes were like the most hardcore in that in that show. And um, I was like, I'm I'm just now realizing like where I picked it up from some of the things, you know, and I think that representation, actually, because when I look back, I'm like, Oh, I mean, I like Seinfeld that, you know, not that there's anything wrong with that. That was the big line. Right. And I remember being like 12, 13 years old and being like, you know, I I remember those things really starting to seep in. And I really do think that it was media that started making me be like, oh, yeah, okay. Other people think in a way that I don't think. And then, of course, it was, you know, in middle school, some one of my favorite friends, Jack Richards, God bless him. We're still friends to this day. He was closeted and it was very obvious And um, when we were in high school, we had this big uh, like explosion of like a fallout. And it was because he was trying to kiss me. He was trying to make me his girlfriend. And I kept saying no. I kept saying no. I kept saying no. And, you know, how many times do you tell Bill Cosby before, you know, he fucking changes what's happening? And so I finally just went because he was like, why? Why, Marcella? Well, I should say he sounded like, why, Marcella? Why? Like it was very like dramatic and hilarious in that that way. (laughs) But I was like, because you're gay, Jack. And our friendship ended right there for like 10 years. Um, We must have been 16, 17. And that fucked me up for a long time because I loved him so much. And I didn't want to expose him. He he forced me to, you know, and, and I know that now. But in that moment, I felt so terrible that I, you know, put, put him on blast and to himself because it was just me and him when we had that conversation. And that was a really defining moment for me to be like, oh, like this shit is very sensitive and very real for a lot of people. And if I don't watch my mouth, shit could change. You know, my my favorite relationships could be gone in an instant, you know, and and thankfully we repaired our our friendship and we had a nice conversation about it when we were a full-blown adult. But like, I think about that moment as like one of the top, like I was trying to, you know, change how I looked at things and how my relationships with gay people were and when it was, and that changed everything for me. I'm guessing you grew up Catholic? Yes. So your abortion joke is hilarious. Oh, thank you. So I get the gay thing. Talk to me about, because Ring brought up Catholic, you know, and being indoctrinated into, you know, Murder, Inc. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> I'm curious to know how that evolution happened also, that you became somebody who supported abortion rights. You know, I think it was just you get older and you meet people and you go, oh, shit, like, I can't imagine being in this in your situation. I can't imagine being forced. I can't imagine. And then, you know, my mom is still down for abortion. And, and that's, you know, a point of contention. But for me, it's like, I have a lot of homegirls who've had them. I've been very vocal to be like, if I have to have one, I have to have one, you know, and I'm, I feel thankful that I've never had to make that decision. But it's just, you know, you grow up and you experience life and you see what other people have experienced. And I, again, that goes back to like representation in all facets is so important um, because, you know, you learn. And I think that's what boils down to all these issues, especially with like the drag queen shit. It's like these people just like have never met these people, have never hung out with these people. You don't have conversations oh, really? with the people. You, you're literally reading something you read on Reddit and being like, this is facts and this is all of them. And it's also like percentage wise, there's bad seeds in of everything. It doesn't matter race, background, age, interest, like there are creeps and predators in every group. And if we don't like attack that instead of attacking, you know, uh, just specific groups, it's just so fucking weird. But yeah, it's, yeah. it just it, it was a, it was growing up. That's really what it is. You know, and if you are observing, if you care, if you love your people, like you give them grace, you know, and as you grow up, you're just like, fuck, I, I can't relate to that, you know? There's also a lot to be said for, like you just said, just getting like mm -hmm. meeting people when you don't know people. It's really easy to like have a third party vilify them for you. Yes. We loved your special. We oh loved gosh. it so Bitch much. It's so, so good. I'm so proud of it. Thank you. <laughs> you should be proud of it. We loved your special and we were really excited to see that Ida Rodriguez had directed it. She is one of our feminist icons. She's been on tour of us. She's always elevating women and shouting out other women. How did the two of you meet? And how'd you get to tap her to direct your HBO special? Um, we met, I mean, it must have been 15 years ago at a, at a comedy show in like Manhattan Beach or one of those like awful places. And um, <laughs> one of those rich places that doesn't like comedy. And so we, <laughs> we like commiserated together. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of Latinas doing it, especially. I mean, there's a lot of Latinas that have been doing it, but there's like, it was like, there was a time where it's like, there wasn't two on one show. There was, there for a long time, there wasn't two women on any show. So, like, mm -hmm. you know, the Latinas, we started sticking together or just kind of watching and we liked each other's style. And so we, we stayed friends for forever. And I did not tap her into um, direct. I actually was having a mental breakdown one night. And I remember even the way I talked myself out of it was saying, one phone call could change your whole life. One phone call could change your career. You know that's how this industry works. You know that's what goes down. And literally the next morning, I get a phone call from my agent that's like, um, HBO Max wants you to do a half hour. And here's all the, you know, you get, you know, you get that call and you get all the offer and you get all the info. And I was kind of like, oh, I don't, I don't know about this. And then they go, and it's going to be directed by Ida Rodriguez. And I was like, oh, I'm in. Like, no questions asked. Oh. <laughs> I already know. I don't give a fuck about the money. I don't give a fuck about none of that shit. I was so happy because I knew that, and I'm sure you both have different experiences with this, but we all know that the industry will fuck you over any chance it gets. And no matter what kind of great experience you're offered, it's not going to be a great experience. And you know that going mm -hmm. in because this industry is full of shit, especially when you're an outspoken woman. I you don't have to fucking tell you guys that. But I knew that if I had Ida with me, I would be fine. Like the special would be fucking great and it would look great and that was all that mattered everything else 
was going to, you know, be fine at the end of the day, like a, a distant memory. And it ha- and I was right. I have gotten fucked pretty hard and played pretty hard, but I don't care because the fucking special is great. And I'm proud of it because I had to let me do whatever the fuck I wanted. And it was it was awesome. It was so good. Oh, my gosh. You know, she's gone on the road with us. She's gone to help us support at clinics. She is somebody who, like, if you don't follow Ida on Instagram, she gives fucking free yeah. advice. Like, what are you doing? It's like free yeah. therapy, free advice. She's just a great person who is constantly helping other yes. women. And I cannot say enough fucking amazing things yeah, about Ida. I really love Ida. And she's the person who I found you through Ida talking to you up. So that makes me feel like even more <laughs> excited and happy about you and your special. Thank you. Yeah, she's amazing. I love her. Just so you know, I watched her special twice. Hell yeah. It was really funny. I know. It, it was just beyond. Loved it. Thank you. Thank you. And so we're going to make sure that everyone has all your information in the show notes. Yes. Um, and they should go to HBO Max and watch yeah. it themselves. That's, That's right. right. And find all of Marcella's socials on in our show notes. Yeah. We will hit all of that up. Is there anything else you want folks to know about where you're going to be coming up? Yeah, I have my Women Crush Wednesdays. Uh, it's an all-woman femme lineup at the Hollywood Improv Lab. Um, we do it monthly. And so please check that out whenever you're able to. I have a Motivational Monday Meditations by Marcella Marguello. It's a five-track meditation album, and it will get you through whatever the fuck you need to get through, bitch. And my old album, my first album, The Woke Bully, is always available. My new album, Mercury and Reggaeton, should be dropping pretty soon. I'm not sure when. One of the worst weekends of my career, and we have it on wax. And then, of course, this special please follow and support and watch oh my god i love that title (laughs) thank you so much thank you it's me i'm saying i want to say thank you so much please support women thank you it's a blessing (laughs) so much (laughs) thank you one more time watch grow up bitch on hbo max follow at marcella comedy on all the socials and visit her website marcellacomedy.com to keep up with all of her dates as she is going out on tour very soon And that's our show. Thank you to Tanya Pellegrini for joining us. Learn more about the work of the Loring Project at loringproject.org. And stay glued to our socials at Abortion Front as we are spending Friday night watching our oppression devices to bring you the ruling. Thanks so much for listening. You can support our pod by taking a minute to subscribe, write a review, and give us five stars. With your help, we can get more people to learn about this assault on abortion access. Again, follow us on all the socials at Abortion Front to keep up on all the latest repro news. Looking for where you might fit in to do some abortion activism? Check out our five-part activist training series, Operation Save Abortion, at operationsaveabortion.com. The series is available in pod and video form. And make sure to check out the activist calendar, which is chock full of local and national actions and educational opportunities. One of the featured events coming up on the activist calendar, Grandmothers for Reproductive Rights, have two fantastic virtual events coming up next week, April 24th heart-to-heart abortion conversations, and a storytelling teach-in that you can sign up for in the links in our show notes. And next week's guest, Paris Hatcher, founder and executive director of Black Feminist Future, and comedian and writer Sarah Schaefer. Plus, Moji will be back with us for a triumphant return of this three-headed hydra. Join our Patreon. You'll support great content and get cool FBK merch and experiences. All pledges support this pod and all our activism at Abortion Access Front. Pledge at patreon.com slash feminist buzzkills. FBK is edited by Remy de Tournay and is produced by Abortion Access Front. And finally, we leave you with Mike Moon, 
a Missouri politician who shows his whole ass defiantly advocating for child brides. Lord, help us all. I've heard you talk about parents' rights to raise their kids how they want. In fact, I just double-checked. You voted no on making it illegal for kids to be married to adults at the age of 12 if their parents consented to it. You said, actually, that should be the law because it's the parents' right and the kids' right to decide what's best for them to be raped by an adult. Okay? Do you know kids who have been With married marriage. at age 12? That was the law. You You voted not to change it. Do you know any kids who have been married at age 12? I I, I don't need to. I do. Uh, And guess what? They're still married. Feminist Buzzkills, the podcast from Abortion Access Front. New episodes drop Friday. When BS is popping, we pop off. And if you want to support our podcast and all the work of Abortion Access Front, like, subscribe, and join our Patreon at patreon.com slash feminist buzzkills.